Welcome to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. This is your host, David Kaplan. In this episode, I interview Coach Jason Aker. Coach Aker is the head men's basketball coach at Oklahoma Baptist University. Coach, how's it going? It is going great. It is Friday night. We have uh, the OBU Bison. We've been in practice for about 48 hours, and so... The second session today, after a 5.30 a.m. session, I don't think the players and my guys were as quite as excited as I was to see them uh, early this evening, but uh, it's been awesome um, that hoops is in the air a little bit with all the craziness going on, um, but I appreciate you having me uh, on. No problem, Coach. I, like I mentioned to you, I heard you on another pod. I knew that I had to reach out because I was blown away by your story and uh, you know, just really when, when I was doing some research, I was like, wait, I think he might know a guy I know. And so I, I definitely look forward to interviewing you on here. Well, as uh, it sounds like you found out, um, I'm lucky to still be in coaching. I feel privileged. Um, and on top of that, I'm getting to kind of come back home. And, and I have a, lo- a lot of um, common uh, people that in my basketball life and in my personal life, my family. And so I feel fortunate to not only uh, speak to you this evening, but just to still be in the profession and have the opportunities that I've had. I know the feeling. Now, Coach, do you mind giving yourself a brief introduction to the listeners? My name is Jason Aker. I uh, am 40 years old, just turned 40. It's very depressing. Um, I born and raised in Oklahoma in a small town. Went to uh, Oklahoma Baptist as a freshman uh, where my dad played and won a national championship. And then my basketball um, career and coaching um, um, took some drastic turns. I ended up on the East Coast for about 15 years. I was an assistant coach at Liberty University for three different head coaches. And then I worked uh, for Bob Hoffman um, before I got this job at Mercer University for five years. And I started my coaching career at Texas Pan American for Bob Hoffman way back when. Um, And then I worked for Kelvin Sampson at the University of Oklahoma before I uh, got my big break, which was uh, a 20,000 a year job at Liberty University. Um, I guess that was not 20 years ago, but uh, it's, it's inching up on that. And so I've had some ups and downs. Um, In coaching, I've been kind of every position from GA to video to operations to assistant to top assistant to fired uh, several times. Um, It's been an up and down uh, roller coaster. Um, But these last five years or so, it's 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 my career's kind of plateaued and it's been I've, I've found my footing and my purpose and have really enjoyed my time at Mercer. And and this opportunity here has just been awesome to be back here as the head coach at Oklahoma Baptist. That's great coach. You know, talk about growing up in Oklahoma. Well, I was born and raised by a stockbroker. And so he was kind of at the early entry of a firm called Edward Jones. It was a small town firm. Now it's, um, you know, it's kind of a household name um, because they've gotten into bigger cities and the Edward Jones dome. But he uh, he had a few destinations. He originally actually started in coaching at Texas Tech. That's where he met my mom. And then he quickly um, was a lot smarter than me and you. He got out of the profession. 
and uh, went into business um, for 30, 40 years. And so I uh, had two parent home, Christian home, uh, uh, older brother, four years older that played golf at the University of Tulsa, was at the same church, the same high school. Um, and I just fell in love with hoops, uh, played a lot of golf. i um, come from a golfing, basketball, baseball family. Um, and so I really fell hard for um, just basketball. You know, at, during those years, you had uh, Bob Hoffman at Oklahoma Baptist. You had um, Dan Hayes at Oklahoma Christian, one of the most all-time winningest small college coaches. You had Kelvin Sampson at uh, University of Oklahoma. You had Eddie Sutton at Oklahoma State. You had Bill Self at Oral Roberts and then Tulsa. Um, and so basketball was a huge deal in Oklahoma, even though now when I came back 15 years later, you know, I have, it's basketball is even more crazy because we have the thunder. Um, but small college basketball, big eight basketball, um, you always had games on. And then of course, you know, all of us, um, me and your age, we grew up in the era where college basketball was exploding and Jordan was in the NBA. And so I just fell in love with the game, went to camps, uh, was in the gym all the time, was a decent high school player, um, had a couple scholarship offers, and I ended up um, actually coming to this school and signing with Oklahoma Baptist at a high school for Bob Hoffman, who was um, the guy that I've mentioned several times I worked for at Texas Pan Am and Mercer, and he's now right up the road at University of Central Oklahoma um, in Edmond, Oklahoma. And so my basketball story begins and ends um, with my dad going there with Oklahoma Baptist. And so my life's kind of come full circle. Um, but I have a wonderful family. Any uh, mistakes or troubles that I've found myself or predicaments I've found myself in, it's uh, never been because of the home I was raised in. Um, I have two amazing parents and my brother is just, my, my brother's nothing like me. He's uh, got a heart of gold. He's a successful stockbroker, followed in my father's footsteps. And so I'm married. Uh, one interesting thing about my marriage is I met uh, Meredith when she was the compliance coordinator and senior women administrator at Liberty University. And she's now the associate commissioner of the Atlantic Sun Conference. And so we have a little bit of a sports family, um, which... Uh, I thought was a good thing when we got married, but now as I became a head coach, you know, my wife, uh, I got to make sure I'm dotting my I's and crossing my T's or my wife will, I can't get anything by <laughs> Meredith. Um, so, um, I have an awesome family. I got a three-year-old named Isaac um, that uh, we had when we were in Macon, Georgia. And so uh, that's, uh, that's my life in a nutshell. I love it. Yeah. My, my actual, my last, is going to be at your wife, you know, that, uh, you know, she was in that role and you guys met at Liberty. So, um, no, that's awesome. Coach, talk about your college playing experience at OBU. I, I know, you know, you went somewhere afterwards, but talk about that freshman year. It was awful. I didn't uh, know it at the time. I had worked all those years and, you know, OBU, OCU, Oklahoma Christian, Southern Nazarene. All these small colleges, NEIA at the time, um, we're all Division Two now, but it was on fire back in the 90s. And so to sign out of high school with Bob Hoffman and Oklahoma Baptist, it was 
really a dream come true just to be a part of that conference and how big small college basketball was. So I get to campus. Um, we were, the I think, the preseason number one team in the nation. I was – I didn't realize it when I signed, but I was definitely the worst player on the roster and uh, showed up and quickly knew I had a ton – ton of work ahead of me. It was very intimidating. And then about a month or so went by and uh, Coach Hoffman um, had been the head coach here at OBU for I think 10 or 11 years. Delray Brooks had just been fired at University of Texas Pan American. And so it was an odd time of year. He was, Coach Hoffman was itching to get to that Division One level and, and try his hand at the highest level of college basketball. So when they offered him the job on October the 1st of my freshman year, he jumped on that opportunity. So I grew up in this very sheltered life, basketball, legendary high school coach, small town, uh, same, you know, same parent, same coach, same youth minister, same pastor, same family. And then I get here to OBU. I had three head coaches, starting with Coach Hoffman my freshman year. The last head coach that we played for an interim coach, and then they hired the best high school um, coach in the state at the time named Doug Tolan um, that spring after I played my freshman year. And uh, I ended up moving on to Hardin-Simmons um, that summer. Uh, my uncle and aunt, uh, my uncle's a pastor in Abilene, uh, Texas, and Oklahoma Baptist was just you know, I would have had to stay here with a coach that had recruited me and signed me and had a lot of investment in me because my, you know, I wasn't one of those guys that you walk into a gym as a recruiter and you're like, I got to keep him or I got to have him unless you knew me, unless you were bought into all those intangible things that I, you know, probably better than most um, at bringing to the table, but talent and recruiting and a new coach coming in, you know, I wasn't high on his priority list, nor should I have been. I'm just a six foot white kid who, who uh, was just trying to find my niche. And so I went to uh, Abilene, Texas um, right after that and played there for a year. My coach quickly resigned again and played for, um, I finished up playing there for I think my fifth or sixth head coach in college. So I had a horrible college basketball experience introduced me to what college basketball really is and what college basketball really is is chaos and so I finished there in Abilene um, completely defeated disappointed and uh, all those dreams that I'd had when I was a kid and in high school none of them were fulfilled um, but for whatever reason uh, maybe it's the power of rejection I don't know why but I wanted I decided that the next best decision was to get into coaching and so that was very idiotic looking back um, after what I just experienced. And so I called Coach Hoffman. He's a Division I head coach. And I went quickly went to Texas Pan American and started my coaching career. Um, and that's why I ended up being at the Division I level for my first 15 years is because of that original connection um, here at this school and any high school because he quickly went to uh, a Division I school. So oh, that's neat, Coach. You know, I, I read – when you left OBU, you were quoted as saying you had bitter feelings. And I know that you mentioned you went through a few different coaches. Do you still feel better about that? Well, the, the, well let me clarify that. I was bitter as an 18-year-old thinking that um, 
I wasn't being val, you know, because when you're signing or recruited by a coach, you know, I was just a new coach that came in. And so I wanted to sign um, players. Uh, there was players that came and went during my hiring. And I've been a part of that, you know, many times, whether it be Richie McKay or Dale Lair or um, different uh, head coaches that I helped along the way. And so as an 18-year-old, I left disappointed and bitter. But as an adult and as a college basketball coach, I'm not bitter at all. I completely understand um, why I wasn't um, this featured person um, that was made to feel good um, upon a new coach being hired. I would have done the exact same thing that that new staff did. But at the time, you know, I'm from a small town. I, my dad won a national championship at this school. Um, the guy that I wanted to play for had left. The interim coach, I had a good experience. And now you hire this unbelievable high school coach. And, you know, he, uh, an awesome guy. Um, I could have come back and, and walked on or been a part of the team. But, you know, I wasn't, it wasn't a priority um, for, and it shouldn't have been to sit down with Jason Aker and make him feel special. I mean, I, I was the second string backup point guard um, that year. Um, and so when I left, that's how I felt, but I just wanted to clarify that I, I, you know, as you get older and you're in this business, I, I realized that, um, not only was I treated well by all three head coaches, coach Hoffman, coach Gomez, coach Tolan, but I was privileged to get to know all three of them, um, during my time here. And so the, the power in my story is I had a horrible college basketball experience. I had a lot of coaching changes, and I'm, I'd had to transfer. But I met a lot of people. You know, five head coaches is five staffs. That's five different sets of teammates. That's, you know, people coming and going. And so I ended up being um, attached to five different, you know, five, six, seven different coaches, head or assistant coaches. And if I would have just come here and played for Coach Hoffman, I would have been – I would have known one coach. And so instead of five, and so all those relationships, uh, how deep they went or, or how shallow they were or, or the acquaintance or uh, some of my coaches I got extremely close with every step along the way. Um, and I, and I say this because I'm a Christian God, in my opinion, has used them to, uh, mark my path in coaching. And so, um, I was disappointed when I left, but that, uh, that's what was beautiful about it is. I was learning. I was growing. I was now out of my little perfect little life um, that uh, I thought was normal, that I, I grew up with in a wealthy home and parents. And I had this little coach that wanted me to come to OBU. And now I started to be introduced to the real world. And the real world is can be tough. You, It's a production world. It's a right place, right time. And so I wasn't entitled to anything, nor... Um, should I have been, but at that moment, as an 18 year old, I had a lot of that in me. I thought I was entitled to stuff because of the way that I grew up and that's no fault of my parents that we had a great home. They raised me the right way, but I had had a pretty charmed life up until that point. And so now I started to deal with, you know, I'm not the most special person in the room or the best player or someone that people need to talk with. I was, I had to fight for a spot on a division three team. And, and it taught me a lot about life. And so all the men that I played for at Hardin Simmons and Oklahoma Baptist, and I say this genuinely, 
really good men, really good coaches, and they all treated me way better than I should have been treated at the time. Does that does that answer your question and put it into Oh, context? absolutely. No, I appreciate you clarifying that. You know, I, I saw that you had played for seven coaches in four years, and I mean, shoot, <laughs> some people never never worked for seven coaches in, in their entire career. <laughs> it's a lot, yeah, isn't it? No, I mean, talk about, um, you know, when you were in you know, I was at Centenary College for a season uh, three or four years ago, and I remember Hardin Simmons just having this tradi- this tradition and story program. It, was it was it building towards that, or were they you know a powerhouse back then? Talk about your time there. Well, true to my uh, playing journey, it was none of that. It had right. been Division One in Abilene, Texas. Dennis Harp was the guy that had led the program. When it was Division One, he was the youngest Division One coach in the country way back when. And so by the time I got there, looking back on it, he was about ready to retire. They had gone Division Three. The program was rebooting and trying the school was trying to adjust from being a Division One school to now being a Division Three school. And so it was in complete transition. It was a really awful time to be there, but I got to meet Coach Harp. I got to uh, meet some other friends. Um, I got in, indoctrinated into Texas. That served me well later on down the road. Um, but as far as me going there and playing college basketball, our women's team, coached by Julie Goodenough at the time, who's now she was the Oklahoma State head coach, Charleston Southern, and now she's back at Abilene Christian and has led them to the NCAA tournament. She was the women's coach. So they would have 2,025 people. They were top 10 in the nation. So whenever us boys came out to play, all 2,500 West Texas people would leave and about 50 people would stay around and watch watch us play. We're one of the worst uh, Division III teams in the country. Um, But I got to play and I got to experience it. And then I, when I played for the next year as a junior, I played for Dylan Howard. And, of course, he was rebooting and restarting. And so I I just played my whole college career in programs that were in transition. And so nobody's fault, but um, it was an awful time to be at all those schools if I wanted to be there at the peak of their basketball powers. I was never at either school during any uh, success. And so um, it taught me a lot, though. No, it definitely you know, seems like it helped shape your career, you know, just as a person and then obviously as a basketball coach. You know, you got your start for Bob Hoffman as a video coordinator at Texas Pan Am America in 2003. How different was the film breakdown than it is now in 2020? Well, video coordinator was my title. I was a manager, and so I did the laundry. I filmed the games, and so – I did the film exchange back when you did it the old fashioned way where you got the letters and you sent the DVDs or the cassette tapes. And so the uh, video breakdowns, if you know anything about Bob Hoffman is, is I would get, he would bother me every day to tell him to see what tapes that I had gotten in from the next opponent. Um, Because he would watch every single tape of any opponent that we were going to play multiple times. And so because I was volunteering, because I was, this is a man that I had admired since I was a kid and I had signed with and never got a chance to play for. And he, so he never yelled at me in college because I never ended up playing for him. I just got recruited by him. 
And so then I hooked back up with him, and he's at the Division One level, and he's a, a hero of mine. So I would just get all the videotapes I could because the more videotapes I got into the office, the more time I got to spend with him as a head coach. And the more time that I got to spend with him as someone that I always wanted to play for. So I would just take him over to his house, take him into his office. The assistants would be working guys out or recruiting, whatever. And, you know, I, looking back on it, the associate head coach, to tell you how life comes full circle, was the the athletic director now at Oklahoma Baptist. And the reason why I ended up getting hired here, you know, 20 years or however many years later. And so, but they all would make fun of me because I was like the head coach's pet. I, I just wanted to spend time with my college coach who I never got to play for. And we would just sit there and he would tell me to write things down. And um, I mean, we would just watch tape after tape after tape. And I was single, I was 23, 24, and I just ate it up. I loved, I loved being around people that really treated and cared about basketball like I did. And I really didn't get to experience that in college because I was always, you know, the coach was going or another coach was coming. And so everybody was in transition. So it was just a thrill for me to A, be back with Coach Hoffman. Um, and Clay Martin was one of the assistants. Um, and I had really looked up to him. He's an NFL referee now and the Jinx head coach and a really good friend of mine. And then Robert Davenport, who I didn't know, but I was getting to know. He is the AD here now. It was just a thrill for me, Division One basketball, being around all these men, being around people that treated basketball and cared about it like I did. And so any way I could help, uh, I filmed games, I did the laundry, um, the assistant coaches made fun of me, I would uh, didn't get paid anything, Coach Hoffman and his wife would feed me every day, um, and I would just watch basketball with him and rebound for the players, and I mean, I was a manager, and so... It was a humbling experience, but it, but now I was starting to get introduced to any entitlement that I once had as a young person. You know, when you're a manager, a D3 player, now you're a Division One manager, any entitlement that you ever had, especially when you work for the men, a man like Coach Hoffman, who's all about serving others and serving his players, is that gets thrown out the window. That's not even on the table. You're just there to help others. And so once again, I was learning, I was growing, I was getting outside this world of it being all about me. And so it was a thrill for me because now as a, as a coach or as a manager, as someone who aspired to be a coach, I didn't feel like I had as many limits on me as I did as a player. I'm a six foot unathletic um, not very skilled, 150 pound white kid in college. And so as much as I wanted to do great at basketball, I had limitations, you know, the best players are African-American tall jump, um, do all kinds of things. And so now I get on the coaching side and I don't have those limitations. Your job is to inspire, serve, um, recruit and all of that. And so I, I just enjoyed those limitations, so to speak being lifted um, because you're not on the floor as a coach. You're only as good as your players. And so I enjoyed that part of my career. And now the whole game was trying to find a full-time job where you weren't a volunteer. And so I began that journey of figuring out, I didn't know there was all these positions and, you know, video coordinator operations. And I didn't know any of that. 
I just knew I wanted to be around Coach Hoffman, and I love basketball. And so that's when that journey started. Awesome. Now, I know that, uh, you know, you spent a year under Calvin Sampson uh, at the University of Oklahoma. Well, talk about your time at the University of Oklahoma. Well, that spring, Coach Hoffman and uh, met with me and talked with me and said that he – um, for me, he didn't want me to leave because I was applying for graduate assistant jobs all around the country. And he said that he wanted me to stay around, get my diploma from Texas Pan Am because I was finishing my undergrad. And he wanted me to be the director of operations. So I called my parents. I was thrilled. I was going to get a salary. Um, I was going to get to sit on the bench. I was going to be in the little game program. I was going to be you know, the youngest, hottest division one assistant in the country at Texas Pan American, you know, I, I mean, that's how big of a deal, you know, it was to me. So two weeks went by and Bob called me and he said, Jay, I need you to meet me at first. So I'm thinking, you know, it's about me starting um, this new job, going from being a manager to now being full time and on his staff for real. So he said, I really, really feel guilty. I feel bad, um, but I'm going to have to do this whole thing to you again. I'm about to walk over to our team and resign. I've taken a job with Kelvin Sampson um, back in Oklahoma, where all of us were from, and I can't take you with me because I'm, I'm giving up. You know, he had been a head coach forever as he was going to be coach Sampson's assistant the reason why he did it at the time was he loved Texas Pan Am we had a great program he built something really special but they kept telling him that we we're going to get into a league so we had no vehicle to get into the NCAA tournament so we weren't in a league we we're independent and so you're just kind of the kids get to play the games but you're not in a conference and you're just kind of banging your head against the wall you know waiting for that opportunity to get into a Southland conference or a low major league so you can now really have the coaching experience of being a division one head coach, but IPFW Corpus Christi at the time, Pan Am, you know, there were several schools out there that uh, didn't have a league. So he got tired of waiting because they had kept telling him that. And so he took um, that top assistant job with Kelvin back at OU. And he felt really bad because he had done that to me as a player. So he said to me, at the end of the little meeting at first, he said, I'll get up there. And if I ever have an opportunity to talk with coach Sampson to see if you can work camp or to see if you could be a manager or a GA at the university of Oklahoma, I owe that to you. And I want to do that. And I hope that I'm given that opportunity, but I can't make any promises because I'm, you know, he's not going to be the boss. So he gets up there. He calls me like a month later I was talking with a few different Division One schools um, about being a GA, and he said, hey, I talked with Coach Sampson. He said you could come up here and work camp, and their graduate assistant is leaving. So I came up there, worked camp, and for every two weeks for the next year, he would walk by my little workstation, and Kelvin would tell me that I could stay for two more weeks. And so he, he did that with a little tongue-in-cheek. But I live with Coach Hoffman. Um, I got paid – a little bit through the tip-in club, which is the booster club. I worked for the secretary and the assistant coaches and up in the office, um, was up there 20 hours a day. I lived with Bob and Kelly um, 
and just was 24 hours hoops for the Sooners and for Kelvin Sampson, Ray McCallum, Bob Hoffman, Benny Seltzer, Joshua Proc, Darby Rich uh, was our strength coach. He's now the strength coach at Memphis. Um, Kevin Bookout was one of our best players and Drew Lavender, a McDonald's All-American. So we won the Big 12 championship that year. Uh, Andrew Bogut, we decided to double team him um, there in the, it was either the Sweet 16 or round of 32. And so we found out how good he was. He went on to be the number one pick in the draft. So I think before Texas Tech and Chris Beard won the Big 12, our coaching staff was the last coaching staff other than Bill Self to win the Big 12. And so um, I was there for that year. And to say that I learned a lot that year um, would be an understatement. Um, Not only is Kelvin Sampson the best practice coach probably in the country, the best one that I've ever seen, but to see Bob Hoffman, Ray McCallum um, work at recruiting – you know, high major, I was thinking high major coaches worked less than the low major small college coaches. And working for Coach Sampson, it was the opposite. He is a tremendous worker, um, passionate every day, super competitive, um, ornery, um, nice, has wisdom, has a firm hand at different times. Um, and so you're always getting these lessons that he's throwing at you. It was, it was tough just being in his orbit, being in that program, just trying to hang in there every day um, with the Sooners and with him. He was coming off of a Final Four and an Elite Eight with Hollis Price and Qantas White. And so OU was one of the programs he had just coached. When I, when I got there that summer, he left probably a month after I was there to go coach the Olympic under 18 team with Chris Paul and Sean May and um, he led Team USA to gold, and that was right at the beginning when he started to get investigated with the phone calls. And so I got to see that part. Um, but I just got to see a high major Hall of Fame coach, and I sat right outside of his office, right by the secretary. I would uh, shag balls for the players. I would do mail outs in the office. I would just clean uh, coach's car. Um, I was a, I was a a water boy, a manager, um, but I loved it. And then I got to see how fierce the recruiting was every day, the unofficial visits, the phone calls, the, uh, you know, if I told you all the different kids that we had on campus that year, um, you know, all of them, a ton of them played in the NBA. We signed some of them, some we didn't. But that year set the table for the next where I sit now of me getting to see that at 25 years old, the good, the bad, the ugly, the excellence, um, the relationships that really gave me a fast track into knowing what the business really was about. And so it was the most pivotal year that I've ever had as a human being. And so, um, then really, um, Coach Sampson has been very good to me since I've left, and he helped me get a job out at Liberty at the time. But, you know, I knew Coach Hoffman really well, but it's not like you interact with him. You know, he's a CEO of a program. And so I was there to work. I was there to work a lot. And, uh, you know, you nobody's there to tell you you did a good job or you're, you're there to show up and work. And so we were, you know, coaches – Anybody that knows him knows that every day is a work day and he's trying to, you know, he's trying to win a national championship wherever he's at. So 
we played Duke in the garden. Um, we played UConn at home. We um, won the big 12. Um, that was when Kansas had uh, trying to think who was on their roster, but Oklahoma state was rolling. Um, Quinn Snyder was at uh, Missouri. Um, I'm trying to think who else we played. Andrew Bogut in the tournament. Um, who else did we play? We played some awesome games. Went to the Great Alaska Shootout, and Nate Robinson destroyed us in the championship game for the University of Washington. Um, there was two five-five guards going against each other, Drew Lavender and uh, our point guard, and Nate Robinson, um, who went on and played in the NBA. And so just being around Kelvin Sampson and his program for a year and all that that encompasses, it uh, – it was unbelievable. I, I didn't always love it because it was a lot of work and uh, coach is tough. Coach is tough. And he's uh, especially tough on uh, young guys. And if you know anything about his story with Judd Heathcote when he went to Michigan State. And so all of his GAs in the past all have stories about how you get called out at this and that with some few choice words every now and then. And so Living with Coach Hoffman was a great experience as well. And so I made lifelong friends there. And it really exposed me to if I really want to be a coach or not. And I loved it. And so I, I wanted to keep going. Uh, I love that, Coach. And I can definitely tell by you know, the sound of your voice, you know, how much that really you know, impacted your coaching journey, just being around those guys. You know, his, Coach Sampson's win-loss record speaks for itself. He's been very active yeah. on social issues, hurricane relief, uh, and, and you briefly touched on it, but I'd be remiss if I didn't ask about his run-ins with the NCAA. What, if any, interactions did you have with him during his time at Indiana and, and then since then? Well, I was at Liberty University, so Ray McCallum and I were close, so Coach gets the Indiana job. We... Um, Later on, I ended up marrying her, but my wife and the then AD at Liberty, they, they had just fired us. Um, she wasn't my wife, obviously, at the time, or I wouldn't have married her, but uh, she was the senior women administrator. So coach got the Indiana job. So I was begging anybody that could get in touch with coach. I was texting them. I was calling them as I wanted to go work at IU. So I get up there. Um, I think they were playing Penn State on senior day his first year. He did an unbelievable job with that first team at Indiana with DJ White and Rod Wilmot and Earl Callaway, Lance Stimler. You know, they were picked, I don't know, sixth or seventh. You know, he had them right there in his first year with an undermanned team, typical Kelvin Sampson team. I think they finished third um, NCAA tournament team. Um, I don't – I think he won coach of the year in the Big Ten. I'm not sure. But I get up there for their last home game. I had never been to Assembly Hall, so I sit in the seats that uh, Ray and Coach and Coach's wife. And so he calls me over the house the next day. And I just, uh, you know, said, Coach, you know, I want to be your video coordinator or w whatever it was. So he kind of, uh, I think he thought about it a little bit. I don't even know if he would remember it, um, but he spent a little bit of time with me. And he said, Jay, I want you to go back to Liberty. They'll end up hiring a new coach. And I want you to fight to stay on staff there. He said, I'm not going to hire you. He said, I'm going to hire Eric Gordon's um, AAU coach um, as the video coordinator because I got to get this kid. Eric Gordon, if you remember, was committed 
to uh, University of Illinois. Kelvin got the job. We had actually began recruiting Eric at University of Oklahoma. So uh, Eric Sr. Um, and EJ, they already felt comfortable with Kelvin. And there was that grant groundswell in the state of, hey, don't go play for Bruce Weber. We, we want to keep you at home and come play for the Hoosiers. So coach was, you know, he hired Jeff Meyer, who was actually the former Liberty coach who coached Eric um, Gordon's um, dad at Liberty. He hired Eric Gordon's uh, AAU coach as the video coordinator instead of me. Um, and so that, that person ended up being Travis Steele, who's now the head coach um, at Xavier. Now he, he was the guy who got the job over me. So I ended up going back to Liberty Richie McKay ends up getting hired um, and uh, through coach Sampson and through just the luck of the luck of the Irish or the luck of the draw somehow got retained and promoted during all that chaos. And so coach called the prospects too much as what he was charged with, with the NCA. Um, as we all know, that rule is not even in place anymore. Um, if your call got dropped or you're on three way or, um, you know, there's a lot more going on in college basketball than than Coach Sampson calling, you know, Damian James or Eric Gordon and the call getting dropped and him calling them again when you can only, you know, speak to him once a week. And so I know it was a rule. He was the head of the NABC. Um, he was a repeat um, offender, but uh wasn't paying anybody. I think one of the major violations, if you look back to the articles, was one of the assistant coaches at IU gave a camper a backpack. And so, um, but Dick Vitale and Jay Billis and College Game Day and ESPN and Andy Katz, they blew this thing up to where it was, it was, like, the Baylor, it was like the Baylor-Dave Bliss shooting. And it's like, it was none of that. And so Coach is a man of integrity. He's a man of honor. Um, he did call some prospects too much, but, uh, you know, I don't want to make light of it, but, uh, you know, I think you can tell by my tone. I don't, I don't really, I'm not concerned with coach's character. I thought the whole thing was a joke. And so, um, I'm a rule follower. Um, and so I get all that. My wife comes from a compliance background, but, uh, there's a lot of stuff, um, as we found out through the FBI, that's been going on in college basketball for a lot of years. And so coach was calling um, kids and talking to them and recruiting them, and we were mailing them and all of that. And so that was the extent of it. And uh, he got he lost his whole job. He lost uh, – he got to show call. I mean, it was, it was crazy. And so all of us that uh, – not, not – I wouldn't say that I'm close with them, but all of us that care about him like we do or work for him, we've taken great pride in him taking the University of Houston. And, you know, now it's one of the premier programs. And because he's a Hall of Fame coach, a stand-up guy, um, done a lot for a lot of people, and he's not a cheater. And so I know he's labeled it that at that time, but uh, that's why we've all um, been rooting for the Cougars and, have just really enjoyed him stepping into this last part of his career because he's an, he's an unbelievable guy. And um, the furthest thing from um, what that firestorm was in Bloomington at the time.
Coach, I really appreciate you, you know, being so open and honest about that. That's obviously great perspective. And uh, I think a lot of listeners, you know, would really appreciate, you know, you just the way that you were so honest and transparent about that. You know, what brought you to Liberty? Obviously, it's an extremely religious institution. You talked about you're a man of faith. But what else factored into your decision when you went there? Well, it's really simple. The reason why I ended up at Liberty University is, is I was a graduate manager for Kelvin Sampson and, and that staff at the University of Oklahoma. I was desperate to find a job in college basketball. Coach Hoffman came off the road and he had set with Randy Dunton, the head coach at Liberty, and he came back to the office and told me and a couple other um, guys that there was two opening jobs at Liberty. So I got on the phone with them. I spent, I don't know, $500 just flying out there and just barging my way into an interview. Um, I got the director of operations job um, without knowing Randy Dunton. I thought that it was because, you know, my interview and my perseverance and my letters and my um, just all the things that I had done. And then I later found out, um, you know, my last day at OU, I walked into Coach Sampson's office and told him, hey, Coach, you know, I just want you to know I got that job out at Liberty and I'm, I'm leaving right now. And he kind of looked at me and I don't know if he winked, but he just kind of looked at me and wished me well. And, uh, you know, I thought he was kind of oblivious to what was going on with my career or caring about it. And so I get out to Liberty and I'd been there for about a month. And then I found out that he had called, um, you know, he's one of the premier coaches in the game at the time and like he is now. And he had called the Liberty coach seven times wearing this guy out, telling him that I was the greatest thing since sliced bread. And so that's why I ended up getting the job. Because he took time out of his day, didn't even tell me um, that he was doing it, and he was calling this guy, fighting for me and my career to get a full-time job. And so the only reason why I ended up at Liberty was because it was a job that I got involved in, and I just wanted to stay in basketball. And so um, I'm a Christian man, like I said, and so I feel like God had a plan. I met my wife there, and a lot of things transpired when I was there, good and bad. Um, that really have shaped my life. But Kelvin Sampson, I mean, I interviewed and applied for the job and Coach Hoffman had spoken with that coach and found out that they, they had a couple openings. Um, but Kelvin Sampson went out of his way, found the guy's number, and just wore the guy out to hire me. And I, I mean, it's not like me and Kelvin Sampson were interacting daily when I was his manager. I mean, I would say hi to him or He'd cuss me out or I would do the laundry or I would go wash his car or I would um, be behind the bench giving the guys water or putting the bubble on the rim. Um, but he made it appear to that head coach that I was much better than what I really was. And so there's a ton of stories out there like that, that Kelvin Sampson and, and the people around him, they don't ever let get out of things that he's done for people like me over his career of just helping us. And so, you know, he doesn't want things like that to get out there about him because he, he doesn't do it for that. Um, but that's what kind of man he is. Um, he's tough on you when you're around him. But, uh, 
he, he, he's doing it on purpose and there's a method behind his madness. And so, you know, between Bob Hoffman and Kelvin Sampson, I mean, those, that's the only reason why I'm even in college basketball for, you know, two different ways and two different journeys. But those two men, they got me to out to Liberty. And, uh, then I started uh, trying to find my footing and find my way through all the chaos out there at the time. You know, Richie McKay promoted it to the assistant coach position uh, in 2017 after spending two years as the Dobo. Talk about recruiting and coaching uh, guys like Seth Curry. Well, Coach McKay had, uh, we got fired, um, like I said, um, after my second year. So they hired Richie McKay. Um, so I was kind of the, the guy who was in the office working out the players, just trying to hold on um, to some type of job, knowing that I probably – you know, I wasn't going to get retained, but, you know, the AD was in my corner. Um, my wife, no, he was, she wasn't my wife at the time. Um, the AD was still in my corner. I had a good relationship with him. He's the athletic director at Charleston Southern now, Jeff Barber. He told me he would put in a good word for me. So Richie McKay gets hired. Um, right about that time after Richie had gotten fired at New Mexico, Dale Lair had gotten fired at uh, Colorado State. So he offered all of his New Mexico staff to come with him to Liberty, Brad Soucy, Dwayne Broussard, Scott Didrickson. Um, and so only one of his staff at New Mexico took him up on the offer, Brad Soucy. So he had uh, another spot open. Him and Coach Lair have a, a long uh, history together. So he hires Coach Soucy and Coach Lair, pays them all the money that they had in that budget at the time, which was less than New Mexico and Colorado State and all that Coach Susie and Coach Lair had been making. So he had that director of operations and third assistant. And I was just, Coach Sampson was talking with me um, during that time. And he just said, don't ever not be up at the office. So Coach McKay uh, gave me like an interim two weeks before the final four in Atlanta that year. And so I was there all the time. We signed a kid in that process um, that I was, I guess I had a little bit to do with. So he brought me in right before he went to Atlanta and said, Jay, I, I want to um, not only keep you, but I want to um, promote you to assistant coach. And the reason why he did it was, I mean, I was in there working hard. The players obviously um, like wanted me to stay and they were vouching for me. I was hungry and single, but he didn't want to go to Atlanta and get bombarded with a bunch of people wanting an assistance job. So that was kind of the reason. And he was like, and I need you to drive me to Atlanta. And <laughs> so, because his wife and everybody were back at, in New Mexico. So I think that's why I got the job. Uh, um, so Dale Lair, Brad Susie, and Jason Aker, that was our first staff there at Liberty. And uh, getting an opportunity to finally be a coach, finally be a recruiter after those first uh, four years in the business as a manager, a GA, an operations guy for two years. You know, I broke down and started crying. Um, tried to hide it when he told me that he was promoting me. I remember getting back to my little apartment and calling uh, my pops and telling him that I had gotten a division one assistant coaching job with Richie McKay. And um, I, it was one of the best moments of my life. And so um, he was going to pay me, I think 20, 
28 or 30 grand. Um, and so I already felt wealthy because I had been making $24,000 um, as the operations guy before. And so I got a raise, $30,000 benefits. And, you know, Richie McKay is one of the most respected, um, best uh, coaches, best guys. Um, and I got to work with Coach Lair and Coach Susie. And so I hit the hit the lottery. Um, um, and then I end up, uh, you know, marrying Meredith, who was right there and was the senior women administrator and head of compliance. And so I just, I literally was at the right place, the right time. And I got the break of a lifetime to be right there. And so from that point forward, I mean, I didn't care nothing about anything other than Liberty basketball, Richie McKay. I would have literally took a bullet for him. I would take a, uh, I would take a pellet for Richie these days, but I wouldn't take a full-fledged bullet to the head. But during those days, I probably would have taken a bullet for him. I was that excited, indebted, appreciative, humbled of I finally was getting to live my dream. And so it was pretty awesome. I'm pretty sure the wife and uh, family would would hope that you would only take a pellet these days. So, <laughs> yeah, but he's still a great friend and a mentor of mine. That first recruiting class, we obviously recruited um, and got to coach uh, Seth. Um, Buzz Williams ended up getting uh, coach Sampson ends up getting fired at Indiana. Tom Crane um, slides over and takes the IU job, and then Buzz Williams, Coach Lair's former assistant, now gets Marquette. So after that first year. Um, Coach Lair leaves, and they go sign Jimmy Butler. Buzz and him go sign Jimmy Butler at Marquette, and they start that journey. So I worked for Coach McKay for one more year. It ended up being a total of two. Um, and then the, I went through more turmoil. And so coaches resigning has followed me my whole, my whole career. And so um, Coach McKay ends up resigning after that second year. Um, Tony Bennett had gotten University of Virginia. So now he meets with me similar to that meeting I had with Coach Hoffman and says, Jay, I'll do anything to help you, but I'm not leaving to go be a head coach. I'm leaving to go be Tony Bennett's associate head coach. And so I'm sitting there again, jobless. And we bring Coach Layer back um, from Marquette to be the head coach who I'd worked with. So I was kind of a cat of nine lives at the time. I, I got retained and promoted again. Um, there at Liberty with when they hired Dale Lair. And so um, I've been very fortunate. I've been very lucky. Um, all those men that I mentioned have played just such pivotal roles and just, you know, keeping me afloat, keeping me informed, keeping me up to date on, on just hanging in there in this business. And so, you know, it all ended up leading towards, I got so into my career and so engrossed in it. We took a little bit of a downward spiral we we had quick success with coach layer he won coach of the year in his second year um our best player ends up getting hurt uh john brown rips out his um mcl acl we end up taking a step back um now he's in the third year of his contract um i was literally taking it that serious i wanted us to win that bad so i was doing the recruiting i was full-time doing the coaching it was 24 hours a day so i get hooked and um addicted to a medication called Adderall and I'm just working all the time and just completely consumed with my identity being a college coach and trying to find a way to be successful because you know 
I've seen that up until this, that it's a what have you done for me lately? You never know what's around the corner and, and you're only a product of your work and what you've done lately. So I'm just feeding it, you know, and just profession, job, 24 hours a day. So I get hooked on that medication. Long story short, I turn in a Xerox copy of that uh, medication, not really knowing what I was doing, even though I knew it was wrong. Um, I didn't even know what the word felony meant. I should have, but I did know it was wrong. So I turn in a, a photocopy of my prescription to get more of those pills to keep taking them so I can keep working, keep recruiting and all that. I get arrested to get charged with a felony. I get put on administrative leave, end up getting fired um, that spring. I'm there at Liberty, deservedly so. And so all that stuff that had just gone on where I had worked and worked and worked, now all that comes crashing down. And now I'm married. I don't really know who I am without basketball, without being a Division I um, up-and-coming coach um, at a great school. And so then my re-education into manhood started from that point forward. I was, I bottomed out. I went to rehab. Um, and uh, my buddy, Coach Hoffman, ends up calling me and asked me what I was going to do. I told him I was going to go into the business world. And he said, you know what, Jay, we'll figure something out. I know you. I know who you are. Um, know what kind of person you are. And uh, I don't want you to quit coaching. And so once you come down to Mercer, I don't think anybody on my staff is going to leave. But if they do, you can be a coach here. Um, but if not, uh, you can. We'll, we'll call you a special assistant. Or, or I don't want you to check it in. Um, so once again, my OBU connection, Bob Hoffman, ends up saving the day for me. And so I, then I restart everything. I guess that was seven years ago there at Mercer University. And uh, that ended up being a huge blessing. You know, we ended up beating Duke that first year. I ended up getting promoted, assistant coach, um, working with that staff with Doug Eslick and Jake Nelp, uh, Spencer Wright, uh, Bob Hoffman. Got my master's degree, had my son there. Um, so my career kind of got revitalized. And so I, I never really, I, I kind of had given up that dream of being a head coach because, you know, I didn't feel like I could overcome the, the Google machine with my mugshot and with, you know, being in the Washington post and the New York times of being this, you know, failure, um, of a man and of a coach, you know, getting accused of all that. And it kind of got a little publicity. And so I was, I thought I was ruined from ever being a head coach. And so that ended up not being true. I ended up getting this opportunity because of all that history that I had with the school. And, and uh, I'm going into my third season here at Oklahoma Baptist. And so I've been, as you can tell, listening to me vomit out my story. I've been very lucky. You know, the, the one good thing that I've done with people that are listening, if they're coaches, is I've always surrounded myself with really, you know, if when I meet good people, I recruit them and beg them to stay in my life and be my be my friend, be a mentor of mine, whether it be athletes in action or these men that I work for. And so that's the one good quality uh, that I have um, as a coach is I've always kept good people around me. And so I have a really good network, really good family, an unbelievable wife. Um and so that's what's always come back and saved me. I'm not going to get overly spiritually spiritual on this podcast, but, you know, the Lord is a big part of my life. I'm a Christian. And so I, I 
certainly feel like God's got a purpose and a calling on my life. And it's my job to um, not make it about, you know, Jason Aker and my career and Division One and all that, but just to invest in young people is to care about others and for my job not to be my identity. And so I learned that the hard way. Um, but I wouldn't, I, I don't know that I would really change anything. Um, I, uh, as we all know that are listening to this podcast, if you're really into basketball as a player or a coach, the game, the profession, the journey, um, the ups and downs, um, especially the downs, it teaches you everything. And so all the players that you talk to would tell you that all the coaches, there's so much more to college basketball than the game. It teaches you how to handle the hits and how to keep getting back up. And so if you keep getting back up and you surround yourself with good people, you, you'll find, you'll find a place that can use you. And so it's hard to see that at times I've had, some of the most discouraging days that you can ever imagine. A lot of them self-inflicted, um, but college coaching, coaching in general, there's a lot of hard days as you get older and work your way through the profession. But all the men that I worked for, they all taught me that. They've all been through all that. And all the men that I've been around, if they've gotten fired or they've gotten hit with something in the media or they've had a losing season, Bob Hoffman, Kelvin Sampson, Richie McKay, Dale Lair. Robert Davenport, all these men picked themselves up and they made something even better out of the next turn um, of their career, their life, their marriage and their influence. And so they all taught me that on top of what my dad and my family's taught me and my wife. And so I've been lucky. I've been fortunate. Um, Don't know um, how much longer I'll be in coaching. I take it one day at a time and uh, try to add value um, to this place. It's been awesome. Um, we, we've been fortunate this first two years being at Division Two, and so we've loved it. Uh, we've been successful. Um, we've had up and down days, but, man, it has been satisfying to be here at Oklahoma Baptist. Coach, listening to all that, I just have one word, and that's wow. <laughs> I mean, that is so, so deep, so honest and genuine. Holy crap, man. Like, I – yeah, you being so honest and uh, forthcoming with that. Well, I uh, appreciate the time that you had uh, for me. If anybody listening, Oklahoma Baptist, we're the Bison. We're, we're 25 minutes from the Oklahoma City Airport. And uh, we got a great thing going here, athletic department with Robert Davenport. And just we've been Division Two for five years. I've been the head coach here, too. Um, we found quick success. We were actually in that large NCAA tournament team last year, um, which is, if I told you the whole story about how last year played itself out, um, we were slated to play the number one team in the country in the first round of the NCAA tournament. We were the last team um, that got picked to be in the NCAA tournament because our guys have gone like 10 and one in February and won all these close games and, and that's a whole other story. But we were headed to go play Northwest Missouri. And in my opinion, a top five coach at any level, Ben McCollum, who had won two of the last four national championships at Northwest Missouri. We were headed there to play them. We stopped in Wichita, um, Kansas, when I got the call that the NCAA tournament was canceled. And so um, we won uh, 
we were picked last uh, in the league my first year. Um, 12th, we got third. Uh, last year, we lost in the conference championship. I think we finished in the top 25 in the country and made the NCAA tournament. And so we've had a blast. And the, and, and the thing that those coaches um, that are listening that I would uh, – that I would give as advice that they already know if they're listening and they're being diligent, listening to a podcast like this with a guest like me is the reason why we've had success at Oklahoma Baptist is I have a wonderful AD who's given me every resource at the division two level. There's a lot of people that care about Oklahoma Baptist bison basketball of us being successful and we've recruited well. And I have the best assistant coach um, in all of division um, two, one of the best, uh, he'll, he won't be with me long. He'll be at the division one level soon, Josh Davis. And so I've once again, uh, just gone back to that principle that, that I've been good at over the years is I've surrounded myself with talent, with character, with people that care, with a wonderful staff. And so that has led to our success. And so it's not about you, whether you're the leader, whether you're on the team, whether you're an assistant, it is not about you. If you can help others be successful, if you can help your assistants be successful, if you're an assistant, if you can help your boss be successful, help your players be successful, recruit well, recruit with integrity, you will find success wherever you go. And even if you get a bad break with an AD or an administration, if you're diligent with that and you're genuine and you, you, you're not one of those all about you type of guys, this business is very small. People will find you. People will figure it out. And, you know, I always come at it from a faith perspective is, is that God has, you know, he, he will orchestrate your next steps. And so I would encourage anybody listening that's in transition right now is that I've been in transition in my career, my whole career, um, cried many a tears of not getting jobs I applied for or, or going through different things and, um, all the great coaches that I've been around, they've all had all kinds of setbacks. And so the number one characteristic trait um, that we all teach our players, we must apply in coaching is that get back up, go up to work and do good work and serve others and recruit talent, serve talent and surround yourself with the staff, um, help your boss where, wherever that may be to find ways to be successful and do it the right way. And you will keep progressing. God will have a next job or a next step for you. Um, whether you look at Chris Beard or a Dale Lair or a Bob Hoffman or a Jason Aker or a Kelvin Sampson or anybody that's in any position, they've all gone through all kinds of stuff. Um, even Tony Bennett has had, uh, he's had a charmed basketball life. Even he's had some, you know, adversity along the way. Um, he's not someone at the top of the list, obviously, um, but that's what was so awesome about Chris Beard playing against Tony in the national championship game a couple of years ago. But everyone goes through it. Um, you're going to get knocked down. You're going to get fired. You're going to be in transition, but just keep taking those positive steps forward and try your best. I was not good at this. I've not taken it personal. It's just the nature of the beast. Great stuff, Coach. I appreciate that. You know, obviously, you know, you gave really, you know, talking about from Liberty then to Mercer to where you're at now. You know, I, I am curious. 
Talk about the upset over Duke in the NCAA tournament. I know one of your former players there came to Davidson County Community College to recruit a couple weeks ago, uh, White Jr. Well, Anthony is not only an awesome guy, but he had a heck of a senior year. Um, he was flawless towards the end of the tournament. He made, you know, the best, the biggest win that we had that year, you know, even though we beat Old Miss, we beat, uh, we lost to Texas at the buzzer, we beat Duke. Um, beat Seton Hall, um, had some, had some high major wins, had some, you know, won an SB beating Duke. The biggest win that we had is Mercer had lost in the championship game to Florida Gulf Coast and Dunk City the pre previous two years. So we both tied for the league championship that year. They won the tiebreaker. So we beat Tory Craig, who's now with the Nuggets in the semifinals in Macon, Georgia in double overtime. Then we get on a bus and go down to Dunk City with uh, Coach Einfeld had left uh, the previous year, but Coach Dooley had taken over. They still had um, Comer and um, Thompson and Feeler, and they had, you know, that whole Dunk City um, setup. So we went into Florida Gulf Coast for the championship game. We had lost in Macon the previous two years in the championship game when they went on their Cinderella run, our guys were, we had seven seniors, five senior starters. The coaching staff had all been together except for me. I was new that I would, I just caught um, the coattails of all of them for that one year I was there. Um, I didn't go through all the guts of them building their program and going through all the ups and downs. So we go to Florida Gulf coast on ESPN, um, get up, uh, 15 or 18, they come storming back. We end up winning that game. And that's the game that all the kids would all Anthony and Langston and Daniel and Jake and Coach Eslick and Coach Hoff and Coach Nelp. And that's the game that everyone, we all, they, they actually replayed it on ESPN a month ago or two months ago. And so we all were texting. Um, but the, the best story that I would say about the, uh, the Duke game would be, um, you can have those open practices, um, you know, where where you can go sit in on Duke's practice. Duke could come to our practice. You know, you normally do your leg work and in a in a gym. You get like an hour on the main court the day before the game. So Duke's staff comes to our open practice and being the type of confident leader that Coach Hoffman is, you know, normally you go shoot and you do all your prep work, you know, um, privately without fans, without the opposing um, staff sitting there. We went through all of our plays. Coach went over there and shook all their hands. And we were dogmatic and confident that it was okay that they were sitting over there. We went through the exact same plays that we were going to run the next day. Coach um, had our team. Our team believed at an unbelievable level. They had won game. They had won the CIT. They had beaten Tennessee in the NIT the previous year. They were champions. So they had Jabari, Rodney, um, Suleiman, Quinn Cook. Um, but we had more experience, and in our minds, we had better players and better coaches. And so that's the mentality that we had. We certainly had way more experience um, than Duke had. And so Coach just made sure our team knew that Duke is an unbelievable name, unbelievable coach. They have this one-and-done player, Jabari Parker. Um but that was their first time in the NCAA tournament too. And so 
they didn't have anything on us except that the game was in Raleigh, 10 minutes away from Cameron. Um, but we had a wonderful fan base. And so we outplayed them, um, coach outcoached them. Um, we should have won the game. We deserved to win the game. Our guys expected to win the game. Um, but after it was over, I don't think any of us were really understood the power of the Duke name and the Coach K name of how the, the outside world viewed it. You know, they viewed it as this David versus Goliath and whatever. And so if we had played them 10 times, we probably would have beat them eight out of 10. Um, we just had a wonderful team. We had the one of the best point guards in the country, Langston Hall. He won the mid-major um, player of the year that year. Had an unbelievable career at Mercer. And we had one of the best uh, coaches in the country. Coach K is obviously one of the greatest coaches ever. But Bob Hoffman is one of the best coaches in the nation as well. We had a great staff, and then those seniors have been together for four years. And so um, it was an awesome day, um, awesome moment. Um, but there were so many different moments during that year. Um, it was just one of the many. It was definitely the one that people ask about. And we, we eventually got tired of all that because we had so many other neat moments that happened during the year. But uh, – we lost to Tennessee. We had beaten Tennessee the year before in the NIT, and so we got them. They had come up through Dayton, so they had won two games. We had won one. And so I think if we had gotten anybody but them, you know, they were on to us. They were ready for us. They were hungry. And, uh, you know, the attention that our players got. Um, I mean, it, it was the most watched game in the NCAA tournament. It was the Friday game at noon right when the tournament was starting off and it was the, it was the power of Duke and coach K and the NCAA tournament all converging in one. It was overwhelming after the fact, but leading up to it and during the game, I mean, all the guys and the coaches and every time out, they were just like, we're, we're, we're better than this team. And we were. And so um, it was awesome though. Um, I have a little plaque in my office of, of that season and a little picture of that game. And so I keep in touch with all those guys and coaches, obviously um, was an iconic moment for that school though, with enrollment, the publicity for that school. Um, when you think about a smaller school and the NCAA tournament and what all these schools are after um, it was an unbelievable moment. And it was an awesome moment for me personally, having just come at the heels of all that, you know, those down times that I experienced on my way out at Liberty of getting fired and letting myself, my family and the program down there. So it was, you know, I got lost in that program and um, was just what the doctor ordered um, for me to get back on my feet, dust myself off and, and know that, uh, you know, people aren't paying attention to us individually as much as we think at times in coaching. So thank you for asking about it, though. It was a it was an awesome day. That's awesome. One more question before we get to OBU. So earlier today, I had interviewed Tim Sparks, uh, who's coaching the apprentice school, and he had coached BJ Jenkins in high school. And he had said, please tell coach I said hello. I, I, he, you were one of the reasons BJ enjoyed his you know, time at Liberty. And then obviously when, when Seth Curry came, he knew his playing time was going to be diminished. But uh, when I told him I was interviewing you tonight, He's like, oh, man, please tell him I said hello. He's awesome. I think the world of him. Well, you, you meet those people along the way. I, uh, I obviously have had such a unique opportunity to be around 
you know, being at Liberty, Mercer, and now OBU, I've been around some unbelievable kids, unbelievable players, unbelievable families. And so you meet um, some people along the way that you end up just having a special bond with. Um, you connect, you know, as a coach, you love all your players, or at least I do, you know, but you don't really connect, connect, you know, with every player you coach. You love them, you coach them, you're fair, um, you invest in them. But there's always those kids that we look back the longer you're in it and you're like, you know, it's a shame that I only got to be around them two years or four years or or they still call you on, on uh, Father's Day or Christmas or or text you randomly and you're involved in their decisions in life. And so BJ Jenkins is one of those kids to me. He left me and my wife a message earlier this year. He ended up transferring. He played for us at Liberty, the Liberty Christian school, um, playing for Randy Dunton, Richie McKay, taking over transition. You know, he knew it was time for him to move on. We were recruiting as a new staff, even though I was the holdover. So he ends up going to Murray State, and he was the catalyst for them when they went to either the Sweet 16 or, you know, when they went on their miraculous run, he was the point guard. He's clutch, um, late game. Uh, he's amazing. He's got a big heart, um, an awesome mom. He ended up having an unbelievable career at Murray State. He did very well for us at Liberty. Played two years, played two years at Murray State. Um, but I just, I, I love them. Um, I, I've had the good fortune of being, having those type of relationships over the years with um, a lot of players. Um, but there's just some that you just, it ends up going really deep for a lot of different reasons. Um, and he's one of those guys to me, coach, uh, who you spoke with is an awesome guy. Um, but BJ is near and dear to my heart, always will be. Um, we still keep in touch. Um, Virginia Beach, uh, Green Run. Is that the name of the high school that he was at? Or Green Mile, Green yep. Run, Green Mile? Yep. Yes, so he run. is a uh, – I mean, anybody listening that knows anything about him, he had a great uh, – an unbelievable run um, there at Murray State to where we were all jealous um, that we, we wanted to do that at Liberty. And fortunately, I got to experience that um, in my time at Mercer. But um, you just have those type of moments with kids. And, you know, all through the ups and downs of my coaching career, um, David, you know, the thing that I share with my team, it was at last night or the night before, before we opened up practice, I just said, you know, the thing that I learned the most or relearned during the pandemic, the thing that I've known for many years is I don't miss administrations. I don't miss um, going out on the road recruiting. I don't miss doing podcasts. I don't miss um, – getting attention for this or that. The thing that I miss when I'm not around um, college basketball is the players. The players are the ones that I've always, that have always been loyal to me, that the relationships have been meaningful and not phony. I've had a few genuine relationships in college coaching. Not many though. There, I, I kind of mentioned the men that I'm, that I have genuine real relationships with, but the players that you're around at a junior college, high school, at a big South school or at a D2 school here in Oklahoma, the players are what are pure because they're at that age where they're becoming, where they're learning, um, where they're going through so much at their age. And for you to get to be a part of that, they'll never forget it. 
you'll never forget it. It's where their life is forming. And so that's what's kept me in the business. It's a great profession and a bad business is the way that I've always described um, um, college basketball coaching. So I love being around the players because there's so much that you can invest in. There's so much that you can impact. There's so many different ways you can serve. They go through so many ups and downs academically, socially, basketball. They have such lofty dreams at that age still um, of wanting to play great or wanting to be in the NBA or play overseas or play in the NCAA tournament. And so I love being around that type of energy. And I just love so many of the relationships like BJ that I've had. And so that's why I'm still doing what I'm doing um, is because of those opportunities that you get to have with the BJ Jenkins. So I appreciate you asking about them. You know, in your two seasons, uh, you guys won 38 games, you went 22 and nine last season programs first birth into the NCAA tournament before COVID. You know, talk about how you approached your first college head coaching job. And was was that a job in particular that you had kind of had your eye on over the years? Maybe that that last year that I was at Mercer, I had my eye on it for a few years when Coach Davenport came back and was the athletic director. You know, my whole career was on a fast track to be a Division One head coach. And so as I got to Mercer and I started to – get past, like, maybe I could still be a head coach. And so Division Two, I quickly started to learn about it through Lenny Acuff and through some um, – Coach Lair had been a longtime Division Two coach. And my assistant, um, Josh Davis, at the time was at Limestone, and he had been our GA um, there at Liberty. And so I started to learn about Division Two. I started to follow Oklahoma Baptist with Coach Davenport as the AD. Started to – um, I applied, trying to think what uh, jobs, I applied for a couple small college jobs, maybe my, the year before I got the Oklahoma Baptist job. So I started to look at it, um, started to kind of see the long term, started to hope again that maybe my dream of being a head coach um, was still possible, even with this transgression and, uh, you know, that uh, um, arrest and in public nature of what I went through many years ago at Liberty, I, I kind of started to say, you know, see other people around the country that had gone through ups and downs and they had still gone on. And so I'd talk myself into hoping and caring again. Um, but, you know, there's a lot of things that in the pot, when you talk about Jason Aker, my family, uh, Bob Hoffman, Robert Davenport, Bob Bass, um, President Underwood at Mercer is an OBU grad. Um, so there's a lot of things um, in that's, that are in the pot as to why I would be attracted to Oklahoma Baptist. Coming here as a player, leaving with some unsettledness with coaching changes and not really feeling like I got to really give to the program, which I wanted to. Came to games as a kid. Dad won a national championship here, graduated from here. Um, was on the board of trustees um, a long time ago or, or some type of board. Um, loves the school. Um, had great memories. Had a lot of people in my life that had graduated and gone here at my church there in Altus. And so, you know, I probably would have taken some other jobs, but this was the right time, the perfect fit. Um, 
They had just gone Division II a few years prior, had just become postseason eligible when I took the job the previous year. Um, I didn't have to follow a legend. Um, they had laid the groundwork with Quinn Woldridge and the staff um, to be a successful Division II, but I didn't have to follow you know, a Bob Bass, a Doug Tolan, a Bob Hoffman here, these iconic coaches could kind of come in here and not have to live up to any of that because we had just gone division two. We have this unreal tradition in EIA. And so this division two is different. And so kind of put your stamp on it, have fun with it. I know a lot of the former players already because of my affiliation with coach Hoffman um, and my dad and all of his teammates and, you know, I was able to connect the dots maybe quicker at this job. But the only thing I was focused on, I had gone through, you know, some different things before I got a head coaching job. The only thing I was concerned with was recruiting good players and being myself. I wasn't really worried about other coaches that had a bunch of experience or, or these grand um, ideas. I knew how I wanted to play offense. I had a pretty good idea of how I wanted to play defense. I know exactly who I wanted to hire as an assistant. And I was fortunate enough to get Josh Davis to come with me. Um, we got lucky with some recruiting. There was two, two or three really good players in the program. And so I think where I benefited the most of not really going through, I've gone through a lot of growing pains as being a first-time head coach. But I'd just been around so many good men and gone through some ups and downs of my career to where I wasn't worried about being anything other than me. And so I'm not Bob Hoffman. I'm not Kelvin Sampson. I'm not Dale Lair. I'm not Richie McKay. I'll never be as good as them. But I've always, especially the last seven years, or really, I would say even through my, my whole coaching career, I'm comfortable being myself. I know my strengths. I know my weaknesses. And my number one strength is I care a lot and I'm really passionate. I'm really into it. And I can surround myself with, with talent. And and uh, Coach Davis is with me, a lifelong friend and an amazing recruiter and coach. And so, you know, you got to connect the dots and you go through different things uh, for the first time, being a head coach, having spent 15 years not being a head coach. Um, but I was ready for that challenge. Um, still learning, still growing and learn stuff the last two days. Certainly, um, I know that adversity will hit my career at some point and it won't always be an increase and an NCAA tournament and a raise and and uh, all the good things that have gone on these first couple of years. Um, I know that there'll be ups and downs, but not intimidated by it. Um, the uh, the things that kept me up at night were not these type of um, challenges. They were trying to find a way to stay in the profession. They were trying to um, look past me being a coach that has a mugshot on Google. It was me getting through an HR department with having being accused of a felony and it being knocked off my record. And so when we line up against the top 20 team in the country at OBU and we're the underdog, that's the, that's the least of my worries of, of, I, I never see any reason why we can't win the game that we're about to play. And so I coach with that in mind. Um, I know that um, this profession is here today, gone tomorrow. And so I, I, anytime I get to coach a game or a practice, I relish every moment of every second 
of that opportunity because I know that next moment's not guaranteed. I've seen it. I've lived it. I've been mentored through it. Um, I know it's real. And so COVID pandemic has, has showed us, showed everyone that obviously, but every single practice that I walk out there with the OBU shirt on, including today, I get chills just being out on the court and I love it. I love it. And so our, the players don't love practice as much as me. Players love the games, but every moment that I have an opportunity to be the coach at Oklahoma Baptist or just be a coach in general, um, I don't deserve it. I'm honored by it, and I'm going to give that kid, that team, that university every single ounce of passion and intellect and basketball. Um, you know, you can't tell me that Oklahoma Baptist can't have a better experience, a better season. Um, work harder than University of Kentucky. And so that's the way we coach and that's the way we live. And it's true. And so everyone's always looking around junior college, D2, low D1, high majors are looking at the NBA. Everybody's always looking around for the next thing. I'm not looking for the next thing. I, I, I'm, I'm here today to make a difference, to compete. I love competition and to invest. I'm not worried about the next job. I'm not worried about our next recruiting class. We, we had a group of players that weren't in pandemic today, that weren't in quarantine, that didn't have COVID. I had a mask on and it was the highlight of my life to be out there for two practices today. And I've approached every day like that at OBU, um, being on that court. Um, I love basketball. I love young people and I love competition. So I don't know how long I get to do it. Um, would love to be able to raise my my son, who's three, through being a coach. But as me and you both know, nothing is guaranteed. You're always two steps away from the street in this business and in life, and you're entitled to absolutely nothing. And so the more, the quicker we can get to that point as men, as leaders, as coaches, um, the quicker we can have the humility that we need to embrace wherever we are today, in my opinion. Uh, Coach, I feel the exact same way. Uh, I think that resonates with a lot of listeners. You know, I mentioned very early in the podcast that I was going to ask a question about your wife. With her being the associate commissioner of the Atlantic Sun Conference, how important is it that both of you understand the demands of each other's careers? I know she had a, a softball background in athletics. Well, we, we certainly understand both of our careers. The big, the big uh, loophole and everything, she's an East Coast girl, so bringing her to Oklahoma – um, was tough. Um, I'm from here. This is normal to me, but this is kind of Mars to her. And she had gone from being involved and helping run an office there in Macon with the Atlantic Sun or at Liberty Administration or Mercer Administration. So she's working for home, from home, working remotely, still in the same role with the Atlantic Sun. And we had newborn. And so we used to kind of talk about what you're saying, but that's really not the phase that we're in. We have a young family. We're adjusting to being in a new place and a new time with both different, you know, same professions, but we're both kind of doing it in a different way. She's working remotely, and now I'm not an assistant. I'm a head coach. Um, then you add on COVID and the quarantine, the pandemic, you know. So, you know, that part's been a challenge. Um, but, I, you know, I wouldn't want to be married to anyone um, in the world other than, 
Meredith and we have a beautiful son, but it's certainly as you talk with college coaches and as people that are listening that are married, you know, moving around Lynchburg to Macon to Shawnee to changing jobs, homes, having a child, um, going through all the everyone's gone through the last six months. It presents all kinds of challenges. And so the way that we choose to to work our way through all of that, we have plenty of down days and and days we're trying to figure all that out to support one another the right way in a non-selfish way, selfish way as we raise a three-year-old little terrorist um, that all three-year-olds are, is our relationship with the Lord is what, you know, always brings us back um, to that humble place that you need to be as a spouse, as a partner, as a parent is, it's not about you, um, the place you need to be as a coach. And so it certainly has had a lot of challenges these couple of years, just being here in the Midwest um, from that standpoint, but my wife, we could have easily followed her career. She's much more talented, much more looked upon in college athletics than I am, but she's, she has that uh, heart and desire where, even when I got arrested and fired and all through that, she wanted to do everything she could for me to still follow my passion and follow my dreams, even though it would have been much smarter for her to either leave me and divorce me or for us to follow her. You know, she could be an AD or a commissioner um, at the division one level easily, but that's just, she loves being a mother. Um, she wants me to pursue this passion that I have as far as college coaching and, and all of that. And so we work through all that every day. She, uh, she and my three-year-old at Myrtle beach, um, with my mother-in-law here this week is why I'm able to do spend some time with you this evening. Um, so they're there, she's able to work from there and work remotely. So that part's been a blessing, um, working for the Atlantic sun. So I appreciate you asking about Meredith. Um, she obviously is the love of my life and, and, uh, I would not, uh, be in the positions that I'm in professionally without her and her wisdom and her guidance and her help and her, you know, just expertise in our field. Um, she, uh, she's an awesome, awesome lady. Um, an unbelievable wife. I'm very blessed, um, that we're uh, still together. She could have easily left me during all that time. Coach, we've come to the segment I call Star Bench. I give you three things. You start one, bench one, and cut one. Okay. Nike. Nike, Adidas. I'm starting runner. Nike, and I'm, I'm benching and throwing away everybody else. <laughs> I love it. Uh, Jordan, LeBron. Starting Kobe. Jordan, um, throwing away LeBron, and then uh, Kobe's coming off the bench. Okay. Uh, well, I eat a Chick-fil-A Chick every single day, um, sometimes twice. Um, so I'm starting Chick-fil-A seven days a week and twice on Sunday. Ate Chick-fil-A twice today. My mom, uh, even though I'm 40, still sends me gift cards to Chick-fil-A, um, puts it in my stocking at Christmas. And so Chick-fil-A, and then I'll cook out occasionally. But I, I live at Chick-fil-A. That's awesome, Coach. Uh, Hoosiers, Glory Road. Coach Hoosiers Park. starting. Um, coming off the bench would be uh, Glory Road, and then Coach Carter would be what, – what are the three categories starting? 
I'm cutting uh, Coach Carter, bringing Glory Road off the bench. But I, I, Hoosier is one of my all-time favorite movies. Okay, last one. Hoop Dirt, Verbal Commits, NCAA Transfer Portal. Wow, that's an interesting. Uh, I'm starting Verbal Commits. Um, what are the three? Verbal Commits, starting them. Hoop Dirt and Cutting transfer uh, Transfer Portal, bringing Hoop Dirt off the bench. That's why That's why you have assistant coaches Coach, to do the three- Transfer Portal. Exactly. Coach, who are three guests? If you can get them, Dale Lair, Bob Hoffman, Richie McKay, three of the best coaches and best men in college basketball, and then Doug Eslick. Those are four guys. He's the head coach and AD at um, Forsyth Country Day there in Winston-Salem. Dale Lair is an assistant coach at Texas A&M. Richie McKay is the head coach at Liberty, and then Bob Hoffman's the the head coach at University of Central Oklahoma. If you get any of those four, you'll uh, your listeners will learn a lot. They're awesome guys. They have so much wisdom that they poured into me. Um, those those would be a if you could get any of those four, and they they love helping out coaches. And so I'm I could give you their numbers and reach out to them, but they would be. If you haven't had them already, they would be awesome people for people to learn from, much more than um, people that have hung in there and listened to this. Now, I, I think Richie McKay is the only one that I don't have uh, an in with. I, you know, I know some guys who've worked for those guys. So, uh, no, any help you could be would be greatly appreciated. You know, if, if listeners want to get in touch with you as far as, you know, asking your advice – um, you know, just talking hoops. What's the best way? Social media. Uh, call me on my cell. Happened. My cell is 478-832-4417. You can email me, Jason period acre at okbu.edu. Email me. And then uh, Twitter. I'm on Twitter. I promote our program. Um, just type in um, Oklahoma Baptist men's basketball or Jason Aker and you'll be able to find me on Twitter. I don't know my little username, but if you type in those two, um, Oklahoma Baptist men's basketball or Jason Aker, you'll be able to find me on Twitter. And so anybody that's listened to it, we had several high school coaches at practice today. Um, you're always welcome. You don't have to call ahead. Uh, if you want to call ahead to get a practice plan and to be there, um, you're always welcome. Um, would love to hear from anybody. I'm a coach's coach. I love listening to new ideas. I'm, I'm kind of, I love, because of my background with Coach Hoff, I love talking offense. Um, I should be thinking more defense, but I love all the, the different stuff that you can learn offensively. Um, so anybody wants to reach out, I'm very accessible. Um, have plenty of time on my hands with my three-year-olds out of town. And my team's really tired and in bed uh, after two practices. So reach out. Love to connect with new people that I don't uh, already know. Coach, I, I appreciate you taking you know the time to you know be interviewed. And you're somebody when I heard your story, you know, another podcast. I, like I said, I just I knew that I wanted to interview you, and uh, you know I forward to staying in touch and 
uh, definitely, you know, continuing, uh, you know, relationship. Ho- who knows? Hopefully, uh, a few of our players uh, might even well, be good enough to play for you. That next would season. be awesome. We we uh, we are definitely going to need a couple more studs to go with what we already have, and so um, we would love to obviously recruit guys that you uh, would vouch for. And I appreciate um, you spending time, and hopefully we can stay in touch and um, meet up when all this stuff dies down. There's another Final Four and some different conventions, and we can find a way to meet up in person. So thank you for um, spending the time with me, and so hopefully we've helped a few people that have listened along. Thanks for listening to the Beyond the Box Score podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, leave reviews, and rate five stars.